Okay, so if you have your uh, worship folder, go ahead and take that out, and we'll kind of just look at that together. There's going to be a video and broadcast training on uh, March 11th, which is a Monday night at 6.30. So here in the sanctuary, we'll meet, and Brother Jorge is going to be giving the training. And for those of us that maybe we don't know a whole lot about video or editing or things of that nature, uh, but you want to get information about it, uh, maybe information about, you know, how you fit in, um, we'd like to invite you to come to be a part of that. And so you don't have to have any kind of uh, expertise in the field. You just have to have a desire that God puts in your heart to do it. And so we want to invite those of you that uh, have that to come. And like I said, it'll be uh, at uh, 6.30 p.m. right here in the sanctuary, Monday, March 11th. All right. Other things we have going on, there's a blue bonnet party over at the Sprosses, and uh, that's going to be April 14th. And the reason we're already uh, announcing it, uh, we're in March, uh, if you can believe that. And so uh, we want people to make plans ahead of time. If you, uh, you know, get the message at the very end and then you don't have enough time to prepare, we don't want that to happen because it's a rich time for the church. A lot of people uh, go out there. It was our first experience last year. Uh, to go out there. Uh, the drive was worth it, and we were able to kind of just not, not even be together, but uh, to, to, you know, meet new people and to get to know folks. So if you're new to the church, it's a wonderful opportunity uh, not only to get to meet people, to know people. There's good food out there. Uh, last year, we had uh, Brother Bobby who did um, catfish fry, and it was outstanding. Some of him and his, his, uh, his crew were out there uh, doing fish. And, and so that was excellent. That was uh, amazing in and of itself. So make plans to be there. And if you uh, need any kind of further information on that, uh, see the office and we'll point you in the right direction. Okay. Uh, let's see. Next Sunday is the time change. Are you kidding me? Next Sunday is the time change. So get your rest in because I know that everybody walks around like zombies uh, that Sunday morning and like, oh, I lost an hour of sleep. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you, know, it, you know, I don't know, uh, you probably don't want to hear this, but did you know that when you lose an hour of sleep, it's more psychological than anything? Uh, because, you know, really, we stay up late different nights, and we don't think about it the next day at all. We just kind of go through it. And, but I think once we get past the psychological that we've already, you know, gotten used to the hour of loss, then we're okay and we just move on. So just tell yourself, no biggie, no big deal at all. Uh, we're good to go. You know, I'll make up for it with a cat nap here and there and we'll be right back on the right side of the ledger with regard to our sleep. So that's gonna be next week. And I guess then if you were to change the clocks back, does that mean you'd get late if you forgot or you'd get there early? I always lose track of that. In any event, don't, don't be late or don't be early. Be on time, change your clocks and then we'll see you here uh, in church on Sunday morning. All right? Okay, that's all the announcements that I'm going to share with you this morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to get into those. We'll be in 1 John this morning. Um, you know, it's amazing because growing up uh, with a single mom, uh, she was pretty tough. She was a disciplinarian. Uh, she didn't let things slide. Um, and she taught us, uh, you know, work ethic. And she taught us uh, things like respect and uh, something that a lot of times people are not teaching their kids in our culture, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, it's something that my mom instilled early on with us. And I had two siblings. When, when I was in the house, we had two siblings. 
I have a total of three siblings, um, but I was so much older than my little brother that I kind of didn't grow up with him. So the three of us, me and my two sisters, Evelyn and Adelita, we grew up kind of just, you know, with our mom as mom and dad playing that role. And, uh, and she, she was, um, uh, I don't, not was, she, she is, uh, she's still alive, but I talk about it from the perspective of remembering what it was like to grow up in her, in her house and, and what that meant. And um, we respected her. It was one of those things where, you know, we just, we still do. Um, I just kind of have that instilled in me that there should be that respect. And one of the best illustrations that I have for that was when we were uh, playing uh, Pawaki. It's a place kind of north of Santa Fe. Uh, it's a reservation, and we were playing their high school. Uh, we were playing at their place, and they were notorious for bad refereeing. Uh, they had the worst refs. I mean, you'd go up to Pawaki, and you would not get any calls at all. You get hacked, you get knocked down, and nothing. And then you go back to the other side and be a ticky-tack touch foul, and they're calling a foul on you and all that kind of thing. So it was never even. And uh, so it was notoriously bad when you go up, to, uh, up there to play. And so we were uh, going to play them. And um, so the, the freshmen was, were bad calls, and then the JV game was bad calls, and then we get to the varsity game where I was going to play. And uh, so we're... Uh, going down on a fast break, and I remember um, going up for a layup, and this is kind of like, you don't do this. It's kind of an unwritten rule that you don't do. It doesn't matter where you play. It doesn't matter what part of the country. It doesn't matter what level you play. This is kind of an unwritten rule that you just don't do on a basketball court, is when a guy goes up, you don't come take his legs out. You, you don't, he's got to have a place to land, you know what I mean? Even if you're going to try to contest the shot up top, you can kind of, you know, up here, but you, you know, when you, when the guy's in the air and, and you come under him, you leave him ultra vulnerable. And then of course, then he doesn't have any place to land except his head. Bad things happen when you do that. Well, this guy comes under and I'm on a fast break and we're going full speed, you know, top speed to the basket. And this guy takes my legs out. Now, normally if that's that kind of a foul, it's called a flagrant and, and, or they'll give a technical or something like that. It's a technical foul, you know, uh, because it's a, a violent foul. And so, uh, he didn't call any foul at all. And I got up, and before I was a believer, of course, back in those days, and I had some colorful language for the referee. And I started ripping into him, and uh, then now he wants to call a technical. So I know his, I know his whistle works, and I know his arms work to be able to form a technical because he did it on me. So now he gives me a technical, which infuriates me further, and I'm pretty much out of control. And so uh, the coach gets me and takes me back to the bench, and I'm upset. So now in the rules, uh, you know, you have to sit out for the half. So I go off to the side there. Uh, my team's sitting over here, and I'm not even going to sit with them. I'm so angry and so upset with everything. I untie my shoes. The coach comes over to tell me something, and I'm just ignoring him. I'm looking off to the side like, whatever. Like, you know, I don't want to hear it. And so none of this is working. The referee giving me a technical. I'm out for the half. The coach coming over and yelling at me, and that doesn't work, and none of it's working. So... My mom, who was up in the stands, says in Spanish, boy, you better tie your shoes and you better sit with your team. You don't represent yourself. 
you represent me. And if you don't, I'll pull you now in front of God and everybody. tie my shoes and I go and sit with the team and act like I care. None of that other stuff worked, but I'm going to tell you what worked. As when my mom said what she said to me and there was an awareness in that moment that I was giving our family a bad reputation, a bad name because of my behavior. Why, why do we even open with a story like this one to depict what we're getting ready to talk about. Are you aware that if you call yourself a believer this morning, you don't represent you? We represent him. There needs to be an awareness among the believers that no matter where we go, and we have the Christian t-shirts and we have the Christian bracelets and we have the Christian bumper stickers. All of these things that we proclaim that are in the external, that when we go and we proclaim these things that we are associated to God, that in that awareness that we have an obligation to walk like Jesus walked. That's not popular in the churches because everybody is holding to this kind of an idea that, well, nobody can be like Jesus. And last week, we were talking about who Jesus actually is, that he's very God, very man. And we talked about both sides of, of what that looks like if we're going to be on one side of the ledger, completely imbalanced, and we embrace Jesus as God without recognizing that he is actually man and wears the same flesh that we wear with all of its enticements and the temptations that, uh, you know, that, that he went through, that we go through, would be a, a grave mistake for us to, to not embrace that side. Now, then we talked about equally that if we only embrace Christ and his teachings as something is just merely human, of human origin, without embracing the deity of Jesus Christ, then that person is equally as wrong as the other. We talked about that last week. And this week, what we're going to talk about is bridging the gap between who Jesus is and who we're supposed to be. That's what we're going to do this morning. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And today I'll be reading out of the New International Version, the 1984 edition. It says, my dear children, I, I, I got to even stop right there. Children, the Apostle John talking to this group of believers, kind of in a fatherly way, uh, as, a, as a spiritual father to them, for sure, there's no doubt about that. And you'll see that in all of his epistles, first, second, and third epistles, there he, he writes this way endearingly to those believers. So that shouldn't be underscored or undervalued at all. That, that's there and that's true. But when we talk about that we're children, we're really children of God. Amen? Now, as children of God, then we have a heavenly father. And that heavenly father, he has a way. He is... God, he is holy, he is 
as much as he's our father, he is God. He's deity. And in studying the attributes of God, talking about that he is a holy God, that he's omniscient, that he is um, omnipotent, that he's everywhere, that God is he's vast. He's, he's bigger than we can wrap our brains around. And, and not to make him ordinary at all, that there's all of that, but notwithstanding the fact that he is our father, that there's intimacy with, with him that we can have. And, and that is a humbling thought, that as great as God is, he's my dad. I'm realizing this about being a, a father, being a dad, seven and nine years old. There's certain mannerisms that these guys have taken that because they're connected to me, because they're connected to my wife, they act certain ways. It, yesterday, we were um, celebrating my birthday, which was Friday. We were in Austin, and we had just eaten a, a, a meal at, um, at a sushi place and fried rice and sushi rolls and stuff like that. And it was one of those things where you better bring your wallet because it, it was pricey, but it was once a year type of a place that you go to to celebrate a birthday. And so the boys have this uncanny, especially Ezra. He has this desire to know what the, the check was, like he's going to pay it. <laughs> I don't know why he does that. He's nine years old, but he wants to know how much the check was. He goes, well, how much was it? And I look at him like, why do you want to know? So he sneaks a peek, and he looks at it, and he goes, Wow! That's a lot. And, uh, and I'm like, Ezra, stop doing that. You know, and he, but he, he does that. He feels like that's his place. And yesterday, we thought about, okay, well, we're out and about. We thought, well, let's go see. Maybe we'll watch a movie or something. And Ezra, this comes out of his mouth. He goes, you know, Si, don't get your hopes up because we spent a lot on the meal. <laughs> he tells his little brother that, you know. In his little mind, he's keeping track of what stuff costs and that it's a lot and, and it adds up. And so, Silas, don't, don't get too excited because we might not go. We spent a lot on the meal, you know, and there's only so much money. It doesn't grow on trees. This little guy is already, and I, and I look at him and I think, where did he get that from? And then I have to look at my wife and I realize he got it from her. That's my wife, you know? And I'm ultra grateful that I have a wife like that because we actually have a savings. If it was up to me, man, we'd be like, oh, man, you know? Be on the side of the road, your pastor will work for, for will preach for, for, for money or, you know, I don't know. What the, <laughs> I'm grateful for her, you know? I am ultra grateful. But where did he get that from? He didn't, he didn't learn in a seminar or anything like that. He'd go pick it up on reading a book. He naturally has that inquisitive mind, and, and he has a mind for finances, you know, and, and yet at the same time, as much as Ezra's that way, Ezra likes to spend money too, though. Your money. Keeps his little bank, and he says, Dad, I like those shoes, and they say, well, you have money in the bank. I can go ahead and take that money out, and you can buy it with your spending money. He goes, well, I thought you, maybe you could buy them. So he's not a dummy. Both of those sides, you know, there's elements of that. And the other thing that I've noticed, too, is that as I get older, I'm beginning to look more and more like my parents, which is kind of crazy. How many of you guys have realized that about yourselves, that the older you get, the more you look like your parents? 
How many of you guys have had to try to look like your parents? You don't have to try. It's in your DNA. You look like them. How many of you guys have realized about your lives that you act like them? The things that you used to say that you would never say to your kids, if you ever had kids, now they come out of your face. How many of you guys ever had your parents ask you what's wrong with you on a regular and consistent basis? Anybody? What's wrong with you? What are you doing? Are you out of, are you out of your mind? <laughs> I'll never tell my kids that, ever. <laughs> what's wrong with you? What are you doing? Have you lost your mind? That's like regular and consistent at our house. Crazy stuff. Those are our parents. There's something that should happen when he says, my dear children, that triggers a thought in our mind that we belong to God. Immediately. There's a daily recognition in my life that I belong to my daddy, that I belong to my heavenly father, and that not only do I just make the proclamation that I belong to him, but that my life makes that proclamation with what I do and what I say and how I act. So that they can look at someone and say, you know what, I've never met you not once in my life, but you look like our dad. I run across people like this all over the place, whether I'm at a store, we were at, at, at a restaurant, and just recently we were meeting with someone, you know, and, and the waitress come over, and, and we look up, and we start talking, and she says, you know, you guys are, are you guys believers? You could just tell. I could just tell that you guys are Christians just by how you talk, just by how you act, just the countenance that's on your face. You, 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 you overflow God. Is that even evident in our lives when we talk about that we're the children of God? Beyond what we say, our attitudes, our dispositions. Let my gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. A gentle spirit, a humble and contrite heart. More people are known for their snarkiness, for their bad attitude, for their cynicism and their sarcasm. Guys, let me just say to you, if you call yourself a believer, if you call yourself a Christian, you ought to look like God. You ought to look like Jesus. You ought to act and talk and and behave, all of that across the board. Hey, boy, tie up your shoes and move closer to the team or I'm going to take you out. You don't represent yourself. You represent me. Could you imagine God speaking that? Could you imagine any of us hearing that voice and realizing that that's actually God? not our fleshly parent. You see, I believe that God is already doing that this morning. Let's get in the Word. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. What's the purpose of the writing? What's the purpose of the epistle? Why? What does he say? Let's say it out loud. What's the purpose? 
so that we won't sin, so that we won't rebel against God, so that we won't disobey what his word says. The purpose of the letter is so that you don't sin, that you won't sin, right? That's what it says. Everybody see it? That's the purpose. You understand about Jesus coming to earth? The purpose of his coming to earth is so that we could be saved from our sin. Remember what John the Baptist did? He sees Jesus walking off in the distance, sees him on the horizon. I always picture something like that. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who makes me feel really good in my sin. Is that what he says? Why, why would I even take that kind of a route to mess up that text? Because that's not what he says. We know that. It's because this is the kind of approach that we take in our Christianity, even though we don't say it that way. This is how we live. We want to feel good in our sin. We want to feel affirmed in our sin. And we still want to call ourselves believers also. We want both of it. We want to have our cake and eat it too. I want to have my bad attitude and call myself a believer. I want to have my closet sin, the things that I do behind closed doors that nobody knows about, and I want to also display myself in public as a believer. I want both. And, I, and, and I'm going to hopefully be able to deceive myself into thinking that these are okay in the sight of God, except that the Scripture says that it's not. John the Baptist looks off and sees Jesus walking. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Takes it away. He came to atone for it, to pay for it, right? And he came to cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. And here's what I believe about what he's saying, writing this letter, the purpose of the letter is so that you don't sin. That you can read it, you can internalize it, and there can be power in your life because of it. Did you know there's great power in the word? I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. So the thing that I'm writing, there's gonna be power, Holy Spirit power in what I'm writing to be able to deliver you from the sin. It is imperative, Christians, that you grab a hold of the word every day. How about, let's say it a little bit different even. It's imperative that you let the Word of God grab a hold of you. We quoted a little while ago talking about quizzing, right? Remember uh, Psalm 119 and verse 11 about the Word? It says that I should hide God's Word in my heart. Why? So I won't sin against the Lord. Are you seeing a commonality here a little bit? See, there's power in what God said. Think about this. The, the Word of God, we, we think about the written Word of God, right? But there's a spoken Word of God. And in Genesis, what happened with God when he spoke? Well, nothing happened. Could you imagine God saying, let there be light, and it was still dark? When God said, let there be light, what happened? Not only was there light, not only from darkness did there appear light. What happened? What does he say about the light? It was good. It was good light. And all of the creation account, God says, and what happens? What he said. That's what happens. He says it, and it happens. There's power in the word. 
And we say, okay, well, how much do I read? How much do I study? You ready for this one? How much do I memorize? Do you think, there's, do you think that there's power in the memorization of Scripture? I've wondered why that's important. The devil comes and he wants to bring temptation. He comes and he presents something to you that's going to be very difficult in terms of what he's trying to entice you into. To have a bad attitude, to, to respond with someone in, in the way that they responded to you and to cut them off. Pride and, and all these other things that the devil tries to bring to cause us to, to go the wrong direction, to go the place that we shouldn't go. And he brings these things. And you think about when Jesus came out of the desert for 40 days fasting. Remember the temptation? Do you guys remember? And the devil comes and he's tempting him, trying to bring these things that would be enticing to his flesh. And every single time Jesus comes at that temptation with it is written. It is written. I'm going to overcome the temptation by the word of my testimony. The word that has been implanted in me. The word of my testimony. You know what that means? The word of your testimony is not just your story. There's part of, that's part of it. The word of your testimony is that good thing that you deposited by his word in your life that gave you victory. But if you're not hiding God's word in your heart and you're wondering why you get, keep getting your tail kicked, what well, stands the reason why that's happening? You're leaving yourself ultra vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. So the, the enemy comes and he's tempting you and what do we do? We say, well, I'm gonna really try real hard. I'll, I might call the pastor. I'll wait till Sunday. I like the story in Acts. The seven sons of Sceva. Remember that? These knuckleheads heard Paul invoking the name of Jesus. And every time Paul would invoke the name of Jesus, something miraculous would happen, and they were watching it. And they thought, well, why don't we just do the same thing? We'll just invoke the name of Jesus. And then if we do that, then, you know, Jesus has to perform the same way that he performs for Paul. So we'll just do that, and let's see what happens. So they go out, and they start invoking the name of Jesus. They say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out. They're trying to cast out a demon. And the demon responds back. Could you imagine that? Okay, so I know Paul, and I know Jesus, but who are you? Whew, man. The Word. The Bible says about the Word that it's not even just words on a page. The eternal logos, Jesus himself. In the beginning was the Word, The word was with God. <laughs> Uh-oh, you ready? Same John, right? And the word is God. The word, do I have the word? 
Bible talks about the word. I'm going into detail about this, and we're going to take the time that we need to to, to, to get the understanding of what's really happening here with this epistle. That the word of God is going to be stamped on your heart. I have a, um, that I got for Father's Day probably about three years ago. It's a spatula with a big, long wooden handle with a logo of a star. It's America's team. I thought I'd slip that in there. Just, just a quick poll. Just humor me. Any cowboy fans? Any cowboy haters? We'll pray for you later. In the, let's get back to task. In the spatula, there's this star. And when you press on the meat, in theory, I guess it's supposed to leave the shape of your favorite football team, regardless of what your team was. They, they sell these spatulas. And they, they press it down, and there's that, that logo. God wants to sear his word on your conscience. That it's indelibly um, marked, tattooed, if you will. I don't, I, don't, I don't care how you want to say it. But it's there, irremovable. It's, it's not, you're not able to just take an eraser to it or white it out. But it's, it's there as embossed on our heart, on our conscience. So that when the devil comes to tempt, the reason why we don't engage in that is because the word of God is prominent on our conscience. It's, it's prominent. You can't ignore it. There's a texture on our conscience that when we touch it, we feel it. We, we know it. That there's no way that I would engage in that. I would not entertain an attitude like that. I'm not going to pick up some kind of substance and put it in my body. Why? Not because you're not supposed to, but because the word of God is there. And the problem with the people who go to the churches and fill the churches up all around the world is that they have in their mind that it's good enough for them to just come on Sundays. And if they come on Sundays, maybe I'll come on Wednesdays too. And if I just do those two things, I'm going to be good when the temptation comes. Well, guess what? You end up losing and you lose badly. You get devastated. And it's not because you don't have good intentions. It's because you're just not hiding God's word in your heart. I write this to you, dear, dear children. I put these words on this page for one reason. And the reason is so that you will not sin. If you would ingest God's word, the prophet Jeremiah says in chapter 15 and verse 16 that I feasted on your words. And when they came, they were nourishment for me. When they came, I ate them. McDonald's put out a all of their burgers now with bacon. Have you seen this? Like the last thing a Big Mac needed was bacon. Like if it wasn't enough to have a heart attack just with the Big Mac in and of itself, let's throw some bacon on there. You eat enough of those, you're gonna become a Big Mac. I know these people that are vegetarians, vegans, or whatever. 
and they're gaunt and pale and poor things. I'm joking, I'm kidding. People on Facebook are getting mad and everything like that. (laughs) They probably make jokes about us that eat meat. I guarantee that. I'm not offended. I think it's probably pretty funny. I'd like to hear the jokes. It'd be great. I'll even tell them. What you eat, what you ingest is key. Listen, if you're wondering why you keep losing, it may be what you're eating. I haven't filled myself with God's word. I haven't, I haven't memorized it. Here's another part of this component that, you know, we just, we got to use it. You got to use God's word. You can't just internalize it. The church people are guilty of this one because we hear good sermons or we hear good Bible studies or we hear, you know, whatever the thing. We, we get a good nugget of revelation at our kitchen table when we open up our Bible. We pray and we get the Christian goosebumps or whatever is going on, and those are all good things. But we've never ventured to think, how am I going to use this today? God puts somebody on your mind's eye. Has this ever happened when you've been reading or praying or in a, in a time like this one? And all of a sudden, God puts somebody in your mind's eye. You can just see them. And they're like thinking, oh, coincidence. And then you move on. If you're wondering why sometimes some people are writing stuff down, it's a good thing to have a notebook. And you know why? Because your memory is not as good as you think it is. And if you have a notebook, then when God puts somebody in your mind's eye, guess what happens? You can think about why did I have this person in my mind's eye when the pastor was talking about X, Y, and Z. It's because this is for me, for them. You should, you should actually get in the practice of writing things down. It's good for you. It's good for all of us. And it keeps our attention too, oh, by the way. Any, anybody ever wander off in service? No, you guys are ultra spiritual. You never do that. But... All joking aside, all of us, the best of us. Like, that's, uh, I need to take this good word and I need to go implement it. I need to use it. I need to exercise it. I'm going to tell you something that you find out about anything in life, spiritual or otherwise, that you can learn something, but you really learn it when you do it. That's how you really know that you do it or that you've learned it because you're able to execute it. And, and practice, and we practice the word. We practice the word. There's something beautiful that happens in the life of the believer when they take something that God has given to them and they go implement that. There's, there's a growth that you can see readily in their faith. You can see it. They begin doing discipleship, and all of a sudden from that discipleship, you see somebody who's maybe being called to ministry. And you're thinking, wow, I never even saw that. But God did. See, that's the power of his word. I think another thing that Christians don't think about is this. They should actually begin to show and teach the word. Yeah, but pastor, I don't have a degree. Pastor, I don't, I don't have this, and I don't have that, and I don't know the Greek or the Hebrew, or I just became a Christian last week. How, how, how would it look like if where you work? There are people all the time who need. Think about it right now. Are there people that you know even right now that you work with? that are going through stuff? People in your neighborhood that you live by, people that you see every day, that you know they're having something in their life that they're just struggling through. Well, guess what? 
um, God didn't allow for them to be in your sphere of influence for nothing. There's power in his word. We don't communicate it. We don't talk about it. We don't. And so guess what happens with the word? It just kind of goes away. And people say, well, pastor, you know, I've heard that passage before, but you couldn't quote it. You couldn't even tell me where it was. You can't tell me how you've ever used it. You can't tell me that there's fruit because of it. And it's not because there's something deficient about you, because there's not. And for sure, there's nothing deficient about his word. Amen? It's because we have not put it to practice. I write this to dear children so that you will not sin. The children of God can say no to sin. That's why it's written. It's written for our benefit. It's written so that we can live above reproach. That's why it's there. If you've been fighting with your spouse, if you've had a bad attitude, if, you've, if you have an addiction to something, if there's something going on in your life that you just feel like you're beaten, the Word of God is written so that you can overcome. That's why it's written. So that you can kick butt and take names. And the one we're talking about is Satan's. If you're a believer this morning, you ought to get excited about that. I'm going to tell you that we used to have a guy that sat right over here in one of the churches where I preached. And there were times where we would be talking about something and he'd be sitting there like this. He's a, a senior adult. He'd go like this. Yes. Yeah. You want to get up and just. Ah. You ought to get excited. The power of God's word is victory and power for me. Okay, you ready? But if anybody does sin, what do you think is the most powerful word there? I like the word, who said that? If. I like that word, if. Did you see that it doesn't say when? Did you all see that? It doesn't say when. All that's saying is this. You have a free will to exercise. You and I have a free will to exercise. Say that with me. I have a free will to exercise. You know what's crazy is that we like the idea of having a free will when it, when it, 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 it argues our case for us having our own self-sovereignty. I like the idea of having free will. Except we don't like having free will. We don't like to confess that when we say, well, you could be like Jesus. Well, I'm not like Jesus. I have to sin every day in thought, word, and deed because, you know, I'm human. Well, what happened to your free will, Holmes? It's got to go both ways. You know what that means if anybody does sin? You know what that means? That means you can sin. Sure you can. You know why? You have a free will. But equally as much as you have the free will to sin against God, you equally have the free will to say no to it. 
Here's, I th- I, let me just even say it like this. Let's start to build the case. You and I were designed to be holy. You know why? Because you've been created in the image of God. You are not designed to be sinful. From the beginning, you are not created to be sinful. And we're born in a sin, I get that. Because what Adam did, yes, we were born in a sin. But at the beginning, you and I were created to be holy. Jesus came and said it straight. Now, we know the power of the resurrection, right? We already know the power of Jesus. Read the Gospels. The power of Jesus. The demons shrieked. This dude didn't even have to say anything. Guy walks up on the beach and they're like, ah, Jesus, what do you want with us? (laughs) There was no arguing. And Jesus says, hey, Come on to that guy. They got to ask for permission. They, I mean, the, power. We know the power of the resurrection. We know the power of Jesus. Okay, guess what? That power is yours. The Bible says it. The Bible promises it. And it's not less power. It's not some kind of inferior power. That same spirit that is in you, right, that was in Jesus, according to Galatians, is in you. The hope of glory. I have a free will to exercise here. I'm being tempted. I want to slap this guy's face because he's an idiot. Same token, this indelible marking of his word on my conscience, this realization that God has done so much for this idiot who most people would like to knock knock my lights out. I didn't get that. I said, guess what? I'm going to say no to that. I'm going to figure out a way to share the word with you. (laughs) You can. You can. The power of the resurrection is such that you've been created to embrace that power and to live in ways everlasting. And I think it should be harder for somebody who's been regenerated. It should be harder. Listen, it should be harder to sin than not. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. And um, as a Nazarene pastor, I'm not endorsing smoking stuff. Don't, don't, it's just a euphemism. Sometimes people are like, oh my gosh, did you hear what he just said? The point of what I'm saying is, is this is a, that's a heavy duty thought. That's a transition of our theology, many of us. It should be harder for us to sin than not. That's how profound that God is in my life. Yeah, I can sin, I guess, but why? (laughs) Greater is he who lives in you. Do you believe that? Sometimes we gotta just like stop because we've heard that text so many times, we quoted it. It's a refrigerator magnet on our, on our fridge. I want you to stop and think about what that means. Greater is he. He's stronger. He's more powerful. There's not anything that's formed against you that can prosper. 
I mean, think about that. I don't care what the devil, I picture the devil in his little shop brandishing tools of a blacksmith thinking, we're going to get this sword and we're going to plunge it deep into Steve. And we're going to, and they can work hard and sweat and toil. And I don't care how much that that guy toils and sweats, it's not going to prosper. It can't win. Because the God in me is more powerful. So why do people fail? Why do people fall? Why do they continue to perpetually disobey God? Why? Uh Uh-oh. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Jesus is powerful to take away my sin and your sin. Take it away. It's gone. It's atoned for. It's paid for. It's forgotten. And I've been redeemed. And now I've been set apart for his purposes. Now I live for him. That's the power of Jesus. That's the power of his blood for us. That's power. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. So how can you know if you know him? According to the scripture, how can you know that you know him? I joined the church, pastor. Of course I know him. I pay my tithes, pastor. I'm a Nazarene. Nothing wrong with those things. Nothing wrong with that. But according to the scripture, the way that you can know that you know him is that you're doing what his book says. We talk about attitudes in here a lot. Is it possible that you have a sorry attitude? You're not obeying his word? The Bible says, do nothing. Do absolutely nothing. Or how about this? Do everything. Let's do that. Let's, let's say it that way. Scratch that first part. Do everything without grumbling and complaining. Any takers? How about gossip and slander? How you doing? Lust. The things you look at. The things that are going through your mind about this person, the way they look, and what you'd like to do. We, we dismiss this so easily, and we talk about, yeah, well, I'm, I'm obeying the Lord. I'm, I'm, do, I'm, I'm obeying everything. Well, you better look in the mirror. And there needs to be introspection, authentic, real introspection. In fact, you know what? Not even that you're looking in yourself, but that you're allowing God to bring a mirror and, and placing that reflection, that true reflection of the way that he sees you in front of your own face. And not be so self-assured that you're who you say that you are. Are you obeying his commands? Are you obeying his word? Because that's how you can know that you know him. It's a bunch of baloney that, that, that we try to pass off that we know God and we don't obey his word. We pick and choose what we want to obey. We have things in our lives that we just kind of just do and we just make excuses for them. 
You know what we do? We qualify it. We say like this. There's gradient on my sin. My sin's not as bad as these guys. Yeah, I, say, I talk trash about some people. Yes, yeah, so there's a little bit of gospel side. Yeah, I do this a little. Hey, listen, everybody's human. Everybody looks at women. But at least I'm not a child molester. Hey, at least I'm not using drugs. Come on, pastor. You can know that you know him if you obey his commands. That's what you can know. Not because you talk trash about that you know him, but that you actually obey what he says. That even at a time like this one, when the Holy Spirit starts to put something in front of that true reflection in our face, and we say, ah, Lord, I don't like that, but you know what? I'm going to obey what you say. I'm going to do what you want. I'm going to put all of these other things off so that I can put you on. That's, that's a Christian. A Christian hears God's word, and then they go and they do it. That's a believer. People who hear the word but don't do it, Apostle James says, they look in the mirror, they see their reflection, and when they walk away from it, they forget what they look like. The person who does not put the word to practice, that's what James likens that person to. No wonder we have a bunch of believers who have, believers who have absolutely no idea who they are. The man who says, I know him. I am a Christian. I'm a believer. But does not do what he commands. Is a... How many liars are getting into heaven? According to the scripture, the Bible, Revelation, you can find this in chapter 21, there will be no liars. There, there aren't going to be any liars in heaven. This isn't, this isn't my, I'm not pulling something out of my ear. That, that's the word. The person says, I know him. I'm not doing what he says. Hey, I, I'm a Christian, but I got these other things. Hey, I'm a believer. But if it's not Sunday at church, I act like this. That's a person who is duplicitous. That's a hypocrite. That's a liar. I'm projecting myself to be something, but I'm actually something else. The most refreshing thing are people who are worldly people because they come into church and they're like, they are who they are. They might say some bad words, cuss words, but they don't profess to be believers. They're, they have more integrity than some of the people in the churches because they're, they're going to be who they are. They're not going to project themselves to be something that they're actually not. We've had people in different outreaches, different places where we've been, and they come into the church, and you know, we, <laughs> we had one, one time we had this big old outreach event, and these two people come in there, and they were rough. I'm not even going to repeat what they were saying. Well, I couldn't. And they're barking at each other like that. And I said, hey, man, what's wrong with y'all? Don't talk like this God's house. And they're like, yeah, you, well, I told you. And they're, and they're doing what I'm asking not to do. And it was comical. It wasn't funny because that language is funny. It's just they're being who they are. They're being who they're supposed to be. 
the people in the churches are projecting themselves one thing and they're doing something else. And, and according to John, he says, I know him, but I'm not doing what he commands. That person is a good Christian person who should try harder. That's not what that says. That person's a liar. Notice what it says here. I know him. But he doesn't do what he commands. He's a liar. And the truth is not in him. Jesus says, Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. In that term, in that, in that uh, passage, there's a term, truth. The truth is not in him. Jesus doesn't live where there's duplicity, where there's hypocrisy, where there's lying going on. Jesus doesn't live there. Here's the good news. You ready for the good news? We need some good news, Pastor. We can get rid of this dual lifestyle. We can get rid of that. We could be the real deal. We could be a genuine article. We can be what God created us to be. The gift of, of Christ to mankind is such that we can be overcomers. That what you see is what you get. It doesn't matter. You can come in my house. Watch the shows I watch. When I'm having the conversations with my wife and kids, come on to the house. You can be, you, we can put a camera at my house. Put a little camera at my house. We'll put a little thing, and you guys can listen in on what we... T- Some people freak out. They, they, they stress out. Let's put the giving on the screen. What we tithe, what we gave offerings for. See, a person like that doesn't care because there's nothing to hide. There's not any kind of... There's none of that. You ever... Let me use the term, okay? Don't get offended. Have you ever been butt-dialed? You know what that is? Somebody sitting on their phone because it's a touch phone, you accidentally dial somebody up. And some of the things that people talk about, and they're over here talking and they don't realize other people are listening. I've heard crazy stories about people dogging the people that they were just on the phone with behind their back, and they accidentally dialed them. And all of a sudden now, backpedaling. Uh, I didn't really mean And then, and then, then they get mad. Like they asked to be dialed like this. Instead of looking in the mirror and dealing with what they need to deal with. See, here's the deal. God wants to make you, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, the same across the board. So there's absolutely nothing at all to be afraid that somebody's going to find out because it's all been reconciled. Listen, the days of you being held hostage, that's, that needs to be over, man. God wants to set you like, like straight up free. But it's up to us what we want to do with all this. The truth is not in him. Jesus doesn't live there. You have to make, listen, listen, guys. 
You have to make peace with the fact that if you're not living a true lifestyle, that maybe God doesn't live in there. Maybe he's not there. That's not a message of condemnation. Listen. The condemnation would be as if we could continue to be deceived about who we are and we live that way and eventually someday we find out otherwise at the wrong time, of course, and we end up lost eternally. That's condemnation. Condemnation is not looking in the mirror and saying, I thought I was a Christian for 50 years and realized I wasn't. But now that I know, I'm going to do something about this and I'm going to invite Christ into my heart. Not, not, listen, not even saving face. Listen, listen to me. This is what I'm going to say to you. This is a Holy, Spirit, a Holy Spirit moment for somebody. If you came to the conclusion that you've been coming to church for 50 years and you haven't been a Christian this whole time, and you came to an altar and you gave your life to Christ, that when that happened, you were, your testimony would not be, well, I was always a Christian, but I had to make some changes, you know. No. Garbage. To be able to say, I've been going to church my whole life and realize I wasn't even a believer. I wasn't even a Christian. And then I heard something and God did something in my heart. Could you imagine with a testimony like that? That's the kind of person who could bring revival to the people in the churches who think they're believers but actually are not. I know him. I'm not doing what he commands. That person's not only a liar, the truth is not in him. Jesus does not live there. The good news. You ready? The good news? We'll wrap up. I like but here. I do like this, this word but because it's a change. It's a change. I like, there needs to be a but in your life. The truth is not in him. That person's a liar, but. <laughs> I love it. However, metanoia. One eighty. I don't. I, I, do we need to keep saying this? Different, different ways to think about this. Listen, change the direction. Something else. If anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. You bring God into the equation? Listen, when, when we come to the end of ourselves, and we, we, we're not saving face anymore. And we don't care wh what anybody thinks. We don't care about anything else in our lives. We're ready to forsake everything else. And we come to that point. God changes everything. Because now, there's not games. There's not charades. The pantomimes are over. It's, it's real. Now, there's something supernatural that's happening inside of us that we can't get credit for. It's not, it's, I couldn't do it. There's, there's no way that I could manifest this in and of myself. It, it was only God. And, and I, my part in all of this, you're, you're our part in all of this. This supernatural thing that we want God to render in our lives, 
Our part in all of this is, the, is, is contrition and brokenness and humility, teachability, being authentic and real, being raw. What, what, would, we, what would we do about this? Notice, notice the word truly. Did you, did you see this? This part, truly? Did you guys see this part? Truly? This is important. You know why this is important? Truly is. It's because now it's not, I think I'm a Christian and I said a prayer, but maybe I'm not. Maybe there's doubt. Truly is this. I know that I know that I know. No question. No question whatsoever. Not even for me. The people around me see it. Dude, you're different. What is going on in your life? I need to find out about what is going on with you because you are different. Truly made complete. There is authenticity. It is something that you can grab, something you can see, something you can feel. It's re- it's, it is indelibly marked on your life. That which he stamps on your heart reflects with what you do with your life. And that's what we're talking about this morning. We're going to go to prayer, and I'd, I'd like us to bow our heads, and lights are going to come down. And as the praise and worship team um, plays, that you'd allow the true reflection that comes from God's character. As depicted in his word this morning, you're realizing about your life that, you know what, there's some things that I know they're not right. They don't match the character of God. And I, I, I need to make some things right this morning. If you're one of those, as these people are playing our, our praise and worship team, I want to invite you to just come. And if, if you cannot kneel, that's okay. You can stand. If, um, if you need to sit, you can do that as well. But here's why I'm going to ask you to come to the front if that's who you are this morning. I'd like our other believers that if you see somebody come up, that you would just not let them stand up there by themselves. That you would come and you would just pray for them. Men with men and women with women, that's the only thing I ask. But as you hear the song and and the lyrics resonate with your soul and you feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit to do this thing this morning, that you would let him. Let's do that.
stand for prayer. Lord, this morning we humbly come before you. We know that your word makes everything clear. It helps us to find our way. It is a light for our path. It's a lamp for our feet. We embrace your word as truth. As the final truth. In a general way for sure, but God in a personal way. That your, your word is going to not only help me to find my way, but to stay on that path. That whatever good decisions that people have made here this morning, that your grace will empower us, will equip us, that we'll be able to set a path for other people. That others would be able to follow in our tracks as we all grab a hold of your word this morning and we let your word grab a hold of us that the two would become one and that not only then would we say that we know the word that we're in a sense you're living an active word make it so Lord God stamp it on our hearts and may it be indelibly marked on our lives so that people can also benefit from the light of your truth this morning, with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around, we're just about finished. You'd say, Pastor, I didn't, I didn't come this morning. I, I, there's some things in my life that I know are not consistent. I know. God has revealed those things to me this morning, and I, I didn't come up, but I need your prayer. Uh, I, I, I want to be real. I, I want God to make me consistent. I don't want to be this way anymore. I need your prayers. Uplift your hand. You say this morning, Pastor, I'm one of those. Would you pray for me? God bless you. Is there anybody else? God bless you. Anybody else? Just want to pray for you. Okay. So as we get ready to leave here and go different directions, we don't depart from your word. And we for sure don't depart from what we've heard this morning. And for those people that raise their hands, and you know who they are, and there might even be more that didn't than needed to. That your word would be stamped on our brains until we cooperate with you and let you stamp it on our hearts. Would you just help our people to grab a hold of this good thing for their own lives? We love you, Lord. We do. And we thank you with all of our hearts. And we pray all these things then in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord praise this morning. Give him praise. Give him praise. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen.
Well, you are dismissed. I hope you have a great week, and we'll see you again the next time.